the real test of genuine repentance is time. And I am not so naive to think that everyone who comes down front who says, I am a Christian, is a genuine Christian. They're not always genuine. The test of genuineness, the test of real faith, is what Jesus calls perseverance. He who perseveres to the end, speaking of tribulation saints, will be saved. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in a study of the book of Daniel, and today we transition from chapter 2 to chapter 3, where we find Daniel and his friends standing their ground of faith when called to do something ungodly, and then facing the fiery consequences because of their obedience to the one true God. This is the account that many of us are familiar with, so let's join Pastor Brogy as he begins a message entitled, Faith in the Furnace. Would you take the Word of God this morning and turn to the prophet Daniel chapter 3. If you are joining us for the first time, we've been working our way chapter by chapter and verse by verse through this prophet. And in many ways, the book of Daniel is a survival manual for God's people living in a climate of hostility and hatred towards those who love the Messiah. In the early church, tens of thousands of Christians lost their life because they refused to deny their allegiance to Jesus Christ. When ordered to renounce their faith, the emperor of Rome called Polycarp. Polycarp was a man of God who had been personally discipled by the apostle John before he died. And Polycarp, when asked to renounce, said, eighty and six years I have served him, And he, Christ, never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? With that statement, the emperor further threatened him that he would release the lions from the cages, to which he said, call them then, for we are not accustomed to repent of what is good in order to adopt that which is evil. Seeing his determination, one final time, he threatened to burn him at the stake. To which Polycarp responded, You threaten me with fire which burns for an hour, and after a little while it is extinguished, but you are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But why do you tarry? Bring forth what you will. And so because he refused to renounce Christ, he was burned alive. And throughout the centuries, many of God's people have suffered deep persecution. Some have given their lives, and some have been miraculously delivered, as we will study such a case this morning. And while many here, many listening, may not be able to identify the book or the chapter that this historical event comes from, it's familiar even to those who are not well-read in the Scripture. It's one of the most famous and most loved historical records in all of biblical history. And it's a record of three men who refused to bow down to the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar had made. Daniel 3 is really a profile in courage. And we need some courageous men and women and boys and girls who will stand for Jesus Christ in this day no matter what. And of course, they make it into the hall of fame of faith because the writer of the Hebrews says that by faith they quenched the power of fire. And so these were men who were willing to break from the herd. They didn't care what everybody else was doing. 
they were going to do what is right. And I want us to be courageous people. And biblical courage comes from an internal conviction of what God says. And the only way to find out what God says is to study His Holy Word. And so I want to begin by reading just the first six verses of this portion of Scripture to familiarize you with where we are going. Daniel 3, beginning now in verse 1. Follow along. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and its width six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigen, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast in the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Now, three observations I want to make from this passage concerning these three men, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. First, they would not bow. They would not bow. Now, let me bring you into the context. If you remember, 600 years before Christ, Nebuchadnezzar came down to siege the city of Jerusalem. It was under siege for some time. He was General Nebuchadnezzar at the time. And while he's attempting to siege the city, he learns that his father, King Nabopolassar, has died. So he puts a puppet king in the place of Jeconiah, and in the process, he takes some of Israel's choice people as hostages, and amongst those hostages are four people that most of you know, Daniel and his three friends. And they come, of course, from the royal family. This is Israel's best. He's looking for the brightest and the best amongst the Hebrew people. And by the way, the Hebrew people have contributed much to this world. It was a Hebrew person who first discovered the polio vaccine. It was a Hebrew person who discovered insulin, who discovered penicillin, who discovered aspirin as a pain reliever in a multiplicity of contributions in every field you can think of. In fact, 25% of all the Nobel Prizes that have been awarded since the, since the start have gone to Hebrews. God has set His hand on these people. And Nebuchadnezzar could recognize that these were some of the brightest and the best. And so he brought them back, if you remember, to Babylon. And they went through a three-year indoctrinational program where he taught them the Babylonian language and culture, gave them new names, tried to give them a new diet. And of course, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, most of us know them by their pagan names, but we need to know them by their God-given names. These are men whom we find in this chapter that stand up. Now, when you come to the chapter, you immediately notice that Daniel can't be found anywhere. And many suggestions have been made. Some say, well, he was off serving King Nebuchadnezzar in a foreign court. 
Some say, well, he was just out of the capital that day when the king gave this decree. Some say he was sick. The fact is, we don't know. And there's so much ink that is spilt on what we don't know, we should focus really on what we do know. And we do know that Daniel, who wrote this book, did not feel it was important to indicate why he was not present, but it was more important to emphasize the three friends who were here. And as we think about these three men, I want us to think about the context as this unfolds. First as the image is built. The image is built. Notice the opening verse. It's really first commandment material. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and it's with six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, if you were here last week, you will remember that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he wanted all the wise men, all the Chaldeans in the kingdom to interpret it. But to see if they were really men of legitimacy, he first asked these people to tell him what his dream was. And of course, none of them could. But Daniel is given a vision during the night where he not only is told what the dream is, but God gives him the meaning of the dream. And in the dream, he sees this metallic man that represents four great empires. And of course, he says in verse 38 of chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. But like many world leaders who are interested in their legacy, Nebuchadnezzar didn't want to just be the head of gold. He wanted to be the entire image. And so he didn't like the words in verse 39 that I have circled in my Bible, after you. And so like others, he wanted to be a big shot. He wanted to be the entire image. And so there on the plain of Dura, which is 11 miles south of the city of Babylon, away from all of the gods and temples that are dedicated to other gods, this king makes an image dedicated to himself. And he builds not just a head, but an entire note image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits and width six cubits. It's a sizable statue presumably made out of wood overlaid in gold. And if he was using the Egyptian cubit, which more than likely he was, which is 20 inches, then it's approximately 100 feet high and 10 feet thick. It's a gigantic image. And I suspect it was either an image of Nebuchadnezzar himself or the god Nabu of whom he was named after. Nebu in Hebrew, Nabu in his language. So Nabuchadnezzar. And so, here is a man who takes a radically different kind of posture than the way we left him in chapter 2. We didn't quite finish it last week, but notice, if you will, verse 26, after Daniel is given the dream and then interprets the dream, he's so impressed, we read, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present to him an offering and fragrant incense. Now understand, when it says he did homage to Daniel, he is not worshiping him. And we know that for several reasons. Number one, Daniel, who's a man of God, does not tear his robes and shout blasphemy. In addition, verse 47 clearly indicates that it is the God of Daniel who deserves all the credit in this man's mind. He's showing respect to Daniel's God. And so we read in verse 47, the king answered Daniel and said, surely... Your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Sounds kind of like a 
public profession of faith, but in reality it is not. It is not true, genuine repentance. The real test of genuine repentance is time. And I am not so naive to think that everyone who comes down front who says, I am a Christian, is a genuine Christian. They're not always genuine. The test of genuineness, the test of real faith, is what Jesus calls perseverance. He who perseveres to the end, speaking of tribulation saints, will be saved. Time is the real test. You're not saved by perseverance, but if you are saved, the Bible teaches you will persevere. Which is why in the parable of the sower, Jesus said, in those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, they fall away. There's many people today who are just like this king. They witness the work of the Spirit of God as he had witnessed the work of the Spirit through Daniel. They get all excited. They know there's something to Christianity. They hear the word preached. They have an emotional experience of sort. They get very joyous over it. But they believe for a while. And in time of temptation, when the allurements of this world and all of its concerns and worries come along, they fall away. Were they saved? No, they were never saved. Every time you see the word believe in the Bible, it's not an expression of genuine faith. There are people who believe about the Lord Jesus, but who do not believe in the Lord Jesus. And so in time of temptation, they fall away. And so Nebuchadnezzar is just like that. Some time has gone by, and it is apparent that what he says at the end of chapter 2 is not real. Now don't forget that Daniel chapters 1 through 6, as we studied in the introductory message, covers a time frame of 60 years. Um, we find them as young teenagers, somewhere between 15 to uh, 20 years of age. Uh, and at the end, in Daniel chapter 6, based on the chronology of the book, Daniel is somewhere in his 80s. So a good question to ask, because there is a connection between chapters 2 and 3, and many times it is missed when this passage is taught, how much time has transpired between the two chapters. Well, we don't know for certain. Jewish tradition that had been passed down through the centuries from the 6th century said 16 years. And so the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, have in the text 16 years. It's a notation, but that's what they thought, 16 years. In either case, it's enough time to show that this man's faith was not real. And if indeed it was 16 years, and we know at this point, Medio-Persia, who is the next empire in Daniel's dream, is beginning to gain strength. And I'm sure that that concerned this king. And so the fact that his salvation was not real and that his profession was empty is he is involved in idolatry. He's involved in promoting it. So there's the image that is built, but then there's the image that is dedicated. It's now time to dedicate his project. And so to do so, in typical Babylonian fashion, he gathers all the higher-ups in the kingdom. And there are three aspects to this dedication that are important to note. First, the order that is given, the order who speaks, and then the outcome. First, the order. It's found here in verse 2. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent word to assemble, and then the guest list is given. The satraps, they were like the state governors. The prefects, they were the military commanders. The governors, 
that refers to the leaders of the smaller provinces within the kingdom. They're like mayors. The counselors, those were the special advisors. The treasurers, literally the Hebrew says the treasure bearers, they're in charge of taking care of the bills. The judges, they're the law bearers, they're like our Supreme Court justices. The magistrates, those are the judges on a local level. And lastly, all the rulers of the provinces, these were the people who enforced the law, the law enforcement division. The bottom line is that all the movers and all the shakers in the kingdom were invited to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Everybody who is anybody got an invitation. Verse 3. Then the satraps, their prefects and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. They, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, when you read that verse, it seems a little redundant, but it's not by accident. God does not say things because he is giving us filler. It's not like he has nothing else to say. He's repeating himself so that you cannot miss it. That when the king gave an invitation, if you valued your life, you better go. And that's the point of the verse. And Daniel, of course, again, is noticeably absent. And so this is a prime opportunity for some of the leaders in the kingdom who are extremely jealous of these Hebrew people to come and attack his friends. So beyond the order, order there's the orator, the, the preacher of sorts. Look at verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigen, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. So this is the king's paid preacher, so to speak. He basically announces whatever the king wants him to say. Nothing wrong with that as long as you're announcing for the right king. But this herald is not announcing good news. He's announcing bad news. He's not encouraging people to worship the one true God. He's asking people to worship an image, to engage in idolatry. And I suspect in my lifetime, we will find out who the real preachers are. In fact, we already are. In one of our Baptist churches in town, they refuse now to take a stance on homosexuality. It's too divisive. They've taken a stance. And in two Presbyterian churches, they now officially endorse homosexual marriage. We'll find out who is heralding in the days ahead for the king of kings and who is heralding for the sec secular kings. Now, I don't know if you've noticed it, but in the last few decades, when we talk about abortion rights and lesbian rights and homosexual rights and all kinds of rights, the things that people call rights in God's eyes are nothing more than wrongs. And so notice the outcome, what happens. But whoever, verse 6, whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, at that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigen, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. The king's preacher is saying, as soon as the orchestra plays, as soon as you hear the, the national anthem, so to speak, 
Everyone is to fall down prostrate on their foreheads and worship Nabu and his prince Nebuchadnezzar. And to help you to make up your minds, the king has a burning furnace. What crucifixion was to Rome as a means of capital punishment, Babylonian cuneiform instructs us the furnace was to these people. Just so that you can make up your mind, when the music begins to play, you better bow down or you will go into the fiery furnace. And by the way, the devil has always had his musicians. Music is a powerful medium either for good or for evil. When Saul is tormented by a demon, King David comes and pray, plays godly music and the demons flee. You can tell a whole lot about a person's spirituality and where their heart is by the kind of music that they listen to. Some say, well, you know, I'm not really listening to the words. I just like the beat. Well, the devil has his beat too. And some of you are listening to music that's filled with godlessness and sensuality, and you think it has no effect on you, but it does. And I'm not speaking just to the teenagers. I'm talking to the adults. At all. Some of the country music is absolutely filthy. So the devil has his people. And so the music is played, and we're plainly told that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image. Now, they're here, as you can see here, by the thousands. But there are three who refuse to bend. Now, Daniel, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah have uh, been in the text with Daniel being featured. And these three men, his three friends, have been kind of in the background. But now they are on center stage, and we will see that these men, like Daniel, have convictions of their own that are based on the Word of God. So first the image is built, then the image is dedicated, but then the image is spurned. Three men clearly do not cooperate, and they stood out like sore thumbs. Notice, if you will, beginning now in verse 8. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. Now, we were introduced to the Chaldeans in chapter 1, and if you remember, I noted there that the term is used in the Old Testament both in an ethnic sense as well as in a technical sense. In an ethnic sense, it just refers to Babylonian people. And so Jeremiah 52 speaks of the army of the Chaldeans. You could say the army of the Babylonians. But it's also used in a technical sense to refer to a certain class of wise men, supposedly the wisest of the wisest. And these men are jealous of Daniel and his friends. If you remember from chapter 2 and verse 49, that the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was at the king's court. And you know, it bothered these people to no end. Here are these newcomers. These Jewish men who've been promoted once and now a second time, and they're at the top of the pack. And so they have an opportunity, especially with Daniel gone, to attack them. We see them venting their jealousy here in verse 9. Notice, they responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigen, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. They recount it very carefully. Why? 
because they want to hold the king accountable. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Now notice verse 12 as they accuse these three of treason and heresy. There are certain Jews, you can almost hear their anti-Semitism. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, you know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have said, look, when in Babylonians, do as the Babylonians. There's 300,000 of them. There's only three of us. They could have become diplomats, but instead they become soldiers in the army of the living God. They might have said, well, look, if we go into the fire, we'll give up our opportunity to be a witness. Better to be officers in the king's service than ashes in the king's furnace. We'll compromise this one time. Or they could have rationalized, okay, we'll bow down to the image. But God will know in our hearts that we are standing up. God won't mind one little bow. No, it is never right to do wrong in order to have an opportunity to do right. Never, ever, ever. They knew they could be a witness, if necessary, through persecution. They knew like the early Christians, they could not and would not bow down. There were tens of thousands of Christians in the early years of the Roman Empire who were bloodied by the lions. Once a year, as the persecution grew, before Constantine made it the official religion of the empire, once a year Christians had to bow down there in Rome and say, Caesar Curios, Caesar is Lord. And the true believers refused to do that. They would say, Christos Curios, Christ is Lord. And so they were bloodied by the mouths of lions. Here were three Hebrew men who are willing to stand up for the living God because of what they believed. It's not always easy to walk away when people are doing what's wrong, but it's the right thing when at the office or there in your barracks they're telling a dirty joke. It's not always easy to say to your coach, no, I'm not coming to the gymnastics competition. I'm not going to play ball that morning. I don't care if it's the World Series. It's the Lord's Day, and on God's Day, I'm going to be with God's people. It's not always easy to go against the crowd, to drink the world's drink, to watch the world's movies. And do you know what I've personally discovered? When you take a stance for the living God, people will get upset just like these Chaldeans did. Why? Because it bothers them. When you stand what is for what is right, it is like a a prod in their conscience. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. You don't do that in a self-righteous pious way, but when you hold up the standard of righteousness as expressed in Scripture, the Spirit of God uses the law as a schoolmaster to lead people to Christ. Faith in God says, regardless of my circumstances, I will trust and obey the one in whom I believe. And when we honor God by having spiritual steel in our backbones, God will honor us and empower us through His Holy Spirit to be effective witnesses. Tomorrow we'll pick up in our account of faith in the furnace as we see God triumph and the King acknowledging the Lord of Lords. 
To listen again to this or any of the messages in the Daniel series, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling 877-787-7478 and for today's program, request DAN04. Join us again tomorrow as we continue our study of the book of Daniel and search the scriptures. Mm -hmm.